whole garden of speed reduction plants. This week, there's a whole bunch of different ideas floating around for speed reduction. We'll talk about the bad ones and mine. Plus, two downtown towers stirred controversy this week. One failed and one is still up for debate. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 36. And in case you're not on Twitter or Facebook or listen to the radio... There's been a little bit of news going around about phone books. Uh, One of my plans started last Friday was I got a phone book delivered in the mail and I thought, hmm, I don't want this. It's like, where was the time machine that delivered this phone book? Absolutely. And then someone else on my Twitter tweeted, oh, what do I do with this phone book? And I thought, oh, I could take that. What could I do with two phone books or more than that? And it came to me in a moment of divine clarity that I needed to build a fort in my front yard made entirely out of phone books. So I am starting that process. I have actively collected a lot of phone books. If you have a phone book, 100%, send me a DM on Twitter, email me. I will come get your phone book. Uh, Get get them from all your neighbors. I want, trying to get 250 phone books. It's going to be some fort. Uh, Yes, it will be almost as exciting to see as it will be to listen to the rapid fire segment coming up right now. The Edmonton Transit Service has issued a warning not to grab onto the back of buses and ride them through traffic like Tom Cruise on a plane in Rogue Nation. This comes after an Edmonton man, presumably from Florida, did that this week in a video that surfaced online. Authorities have not yet identified the man in the video, but my best guess was that it was probably Aaron Paquette who is experimenting with new and exciting ways to tell Edmontonians that people shouldn't have to pay to ride a bus. Winter is back. While flurries aren't uncommon for April and May, Average temperatures are 10 degrees lower than normal this year, and meteorologists are again blaming, of course, the polar vortex. While I don't have a degree in climatology, count me skeptical. I think if we put Maisie Williams in a room with Jason Kenney, winter ends. Edmonton musician Doug Hoyer had a small, very small, cameo in Avengers Endgame. He was a background actor in a 25-second scene featuring Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. In that scene, he was supposed to walk around and look at a bunch of memorials, but all of what he was looking at was added in post afterwards. Quote, It was the hardest acting I've ever had to do, just staring at nothing and looking impressed. End quote. Well, we can empathize, Doug. We too have watched Edmonton City Council. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week we're going to tell you about Overdue Fines, which is a podcast presented by the Edmonton Public Library. It's hosted by Bryce Crittenden and Caroline Land. And in one of the most recent episodes, they talked about libraries and librarians in pop culture, including the best fantasy libraries, and of course, the stereotypes versus realities of working in the library world. New episodes generally come out every two weeks, and you can find the show at epl.ca slash podcast. Best fantasy librarians is actually from the sci-fi show, The Magicians. Just FYI, spoiler alert for the podcast. I haven't listened, but they've got to come to that conclusion. You can assume that's what they said. Yeah. Getting back to city council, however, uh, what happened this week, Mac? There was a lot of stuff that happened. Well, we're going to talk about speed reduction, but the reason we don't have a definitive answer on that is because council had to pass the budget. Yes. We were in a constitutional crisis, as we had mentioned in a previous episode. Right. So that's the big item. They approved the property tax increase. It's 2.6%, although Edmontonians, I think, will see 2.7%. And the addition is just because we had to estimate what the provincial education portion of the tax is going to be. Yeah, as we covered in a previous episode, because there was a thing that happened provincially that we're still not naming, 
we didn't have the education portion of the property tax set because there is no provincial budget. So the city of Edmonton decided, hey, we'll look at last year and give the province the same amount of money and then adjust later when the government gets its ducks in a row. Right. So I think there was an interesting thing that happened with this budget uh, debate. So administration said they found another three and a half million dollars, essentially, um, of money that wasn't around back in December. And so council got to decide how to spend that. And they spent it on some emergent requests, including um, animal control and securing the exhibition lands. But one of the other things they did is approve $250,000 for Startup Edmonton to go out and attract students and to engage with students in Edmonton to make sure that they know about Startup Edmonton uh, programs and services. And Councillor Paquette and Councillor Nicker were the only two that voted against the budget and the property tax increase. Nickel, presumably because he just votes no against everything. Par for the course. Yeah. And Councillor Paquette because he, he was opposed to the Startup Edmonton funding. Why was that? Well, he has a great quote that he told to CBC. He says, quote, I don't understand why we need three full-time employees to let students know that Startup Edmonton exists. I think that for an organization that's all about innovation, maybe it would be nice to see some of that in action, end quote. Count me agreeing with that quote. I was a computing science student at the University of Alberta. I think it's a stretch to say anyone in that faculty did not know what Startup Edmonton was. I don't know that Startup Edmonton even needs to advertise to students, much less three full-time staff to do it. Uh, I I guess perhaps devil's advocate, maybe those three full-time staff are like at faculty mixers or on-campus events to sell Startup Edmonton. But in a tight budget, that 250000 that could get us like five neighborhoods worth of speed limit signs. Yeah, well, he characterized it as a nice-to-have um, I'm going to argue in favor of it, actually. Uh, Startup Edmonton, and full disclosure, you should know, Startup Edmonton is a sponsor of Taproot. But my opinion is... Sellouts! <laughs> my opinion is that this is actually a, a strength of Startup Edmonton, and the reason that all of the students on campus know about it is because of the good work that they've done over the years to build up those relationships, to hold things like Demo Camp on the U of A campus. But there are more than one school. There's more than one post-secondary school in Edmonton. There's lots of high schools that I know they've started to try to reach out to. And so I think some additional resources to make sure that they're casting a wide net and and forming those relationships is a good thing. Um, one of the biggest and most consistently cited problems from members of the ecosystem, so startups and investors and others, is that talent is a big problem and that uh, talented students leave Edmonton and go work elsewhere. And if we can convince some of them that there's opportunities here in Edmonton through things like Startup Edmonton and the companies that it works with, then I think that could be a good thing. And I guess most of council agrees with your assessment there because 11 out of the 13 voted yes in favor. Or they could just feel bad about killing the Innovation Hub back in October. Yeah, speaking of, we're going to do a preemptive slow burn on that. Part of the Innovation Hub was Startup Edmonton was moving out of the Mercer Warehouse. Has anything developed with that? Uh, well, they're not moving out of the Mercer Warehouse. Cool. Cool development. Slow burn over. Um, anything else on the budget? The only other interesting thing was a motion that, or a request, I guess, to administration from Mayor Iveson to look into how the municipal tax burden has shifted between residential and non-residential property owners. So this is really a follow-up to... Um, the rhetoric we heard from Prosperity Edmonton during the budget debate last year that businesses were being unfairly penalized and were picking up more and more of the tax burden. And uh, so he's made a request to look into that and we should get some detail back by the end of the year. Yeah. And this is something we've talked about before because businesses do actually pay quite a bit of property tax in Edmonton compared to 
typical resident. Uh, the political skeevy nerd inside of me says this might be Iveson staking out a claim. I've heard from a lot of people that Iveson's not running again. I personally don't believe it. I think he is running again. Right. And if he is and he's running against Mike Nickel, who is definitely running, Mike Nickel basically is the business guy. I put air quotes around that. So if Iveson can be business friendly, which we've seen him basically try to do over this term with the austerity Edmonton people with this, I think that's a good notch in his cap or feather or some some combination of those metaphors is correct. Right. We're going to move on to the item that this pushed off the table because this Tuesday, council was supposed to debate residential speed limits. Uh, if you want to learn all about the core zone proposal, which I'm a part of, you can tune into our previous episode covering the core zone at length. Yep. I don't want to talk to about that as much because there's not really any new developments on that because council didn't decide anything they pushed the debate on speed limits till may 14th but that vacuum of council debate created opportunity for others yes and this is where edmonton really stepped up to the plate and said hmm people are listening about speed limits right now i can have my voice heard if i talk about speed limits so by golly am i going to talk about it and the first i in this case is elise stolte who Gotta say, Elise, not a great column this week. She wrote a column uh, with a title I can agree with. Lowering neighborhood speed limits is worth a one-minute delay. That's true. And inside the article, she writes, I admire the core zone effort. Oh, great. Great opening. Can you finish that sentence? But Edmonton needs something clear and consistent. Great. What did Elise have to say that was clear and consistent? I mean, basically, in the article, in the uh, editorial, she's arguing for... Uh, 40 kilometers an hour across the city, and uh, as well as a, a speed pledge, which I know you take issue with. Yeah, this is something that Elise has really infatuated in the past. Uh, it started with Holyrood. They had some collisions in their neighborhood, and they built a bench, and that really rallied the community together, and it brought awareness to the issue of speeding. And she feels that, you know, if you can get community buy-in through something like signing a pledge to not speed, that really helps speed reduction. Um It's a garbage plan. I'm not going to mince words there. If someone comes to my door and says, hey, will you sign this pledge to not speed in your neighborhood? Having advocated for speed reduction in my neighborhood for three and a half years, I'm going to go tell that guy to eat crow. Right. It is like it is just a waste of time in the same way that I wouldn't sign a pledge not to stab my neighbor with a butcher knife just because it is it is nothing. Right. Um, So speed reduction pledges aside, there was some confusion then about what's actually on the table, right? For the 40 kilometers an hour everywhere or on local residential roads or where is it exactly? And we noticed that actually in the the, the report that went to council or to committee, there was some confusion about this because the recommendation from administration says one thing, but cites option A. And then if you go read option A, it doesn't actually mean the same thing as what the recommendation says. Yeah. So the crux of this is very frustrating because... We can't debate if we don't understand what we're debating. And that is where we're at with speed limits. Functionally, what is on the table is a reduction in speed limits only on roads of type local residential. So that's roads in your neighborhood, the ones right in front of your house. It's not the neighborhood collectors, not where buses run, not arterials, nothing like that. There are two ways that administration proposes to accomplish that task. One is by putting up a sign on every local residential road. To which they'll, that'll need 55,000 signs. That's a lot of signs. Right. The other option enabled 
by the city charters is they can set a default speed limit in Edmonton of 40 kilometers an hour and then take all those existing collectors, those arterial roads, and put a 50 kilometer an hour sign on them. So we only need 20,000 signs there. That does accomplish what they're doing and the scope of what they're talking about is only for local residential sign. But option A, to do that charter bylaw and set the default speed limit to 40, it does have some implications and it changes the conversation a little bit. One of the organizations that really latched onto that was CTV, who posted a very inflammatory article with a headline, Counselors Considering Reducing Default City Speed Limit to 40 Kilometer an Hour. And while that's strictly true... Like, technically, by the book, on the piece of paper, that would be true. Yeah. It did not mention anywhere in the article about residential speed limits. Uh, It did have the word residential once when it was quoting administration, but it did not explain in any meaningful way that this is not arterial roads. And that riled people up. And that's really inflamed the base. But but isn't it true, though, that if you're on a road and you don't see a sign and you have to assume you should go the default, that you would then have to go 40, no matter what type of road it is? That is a true statement. Uh, and how do we reason with that? That's part of the conversation that admin would have to have. And that's why it can be potentially dangerous to do this right. charter bylaw. Now, obviously... Um, Because the charter bylaw requires mandatory consultation with Edmonton before you do it, there would be some education that this is for neighborhood roads only. So if you're on an arterial road, hey, you don't have to go 40, even if you don't see that sign. But legally, wouldn't they be required to put signs up? That's what those 20,000 signs are all about. That's what those 20,000 signs are, because places that are currently unsigned would need to be signed. Right. So the thing that's interesting to me about this is how much time have we just spent talking about 40 and signs and it it sort of takes away from the argument that the core zone was making and others have made that we should just go to 30 kilometers an hour where it makes sense and this is why the core zone is a useful proposal because we're talking about both infrastructure changes but also a sensible core zone that has clear delineated boundaries so that people can understand what was going on right because fundamentally people don't understand what's going on here and uh i'm including council in this and at this point we're going to go to dumb counselors part two esslinger boogaloo we, we talked previously about mobanga yes asking questions that really didn't need to be asked and nobody knew how to answer well had had he been paying any amount of attention to any of his work he would have known the answer in the past couple weeks on the speed limit item we've seen the same from counselor esslinger and i've actually got some clips from council i'd like to share so the first one i'd like to share is from the March 20th meeting. This was where Councillor Esslinger made the motion to have 40 kilometer an hour on local residential roads. So I'm, I'm going to play you this clip, Mac, and then we can we can get into it. So in, in the motion, this is maybe to the mover, maybe to administration, we still have to come back on the road classification work, correct? That's, that's work that's currently being undertaken? Correct, and that would be covered off in... Uh, part four of the motion and as i recall that was one of the reasons given that um the report on residential speed limits was late to this meeting correct part of it correct um so to the mover in part one we have residential roads um and i just want to clarify how between your your consideration of that and administration what kind of roads as they're currently classified would that apply to 
What are you, are you looking at residential and collector, just or sorry, local and collector, or just local, or could you provide some? I was thinking of the local roads or the residential roads and neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. That's what I. So that was our our, our uh, understanding, but I think it would help to clarify in the motion if it said uh, uh, local residential. And I would be happy. That's a friendly amendment. So in that clip, we had. Councillor Hamilton, a bit confused about Esslinger's motion to reduce speed limits, and Esslinger, go ahead and clarify. We want this only on local residential roads. Gord Sebrick, the deputy city manager, clarifies, and then it's codified in the motion. Yeah. Great. I want to play for you a clip from the most recent uh, Community and Public Services Committee on April 24th. Also, Councillor Esslinger speaking. All right. Uh, Councillor Esslinger. Thank you. First of all, on the proposal, I, I, I just need some clarity because I thought when we made the motion it was going to be local roads. Um, so when you entered a community, it would be 40. But now we have local residential roads, which means a lot of roads in the neighborhood are still 50. So can you just help me with that? Uh, Councillor, I think our understanding was it was uh, local residentials, but not collectors was the, the message that we had taken away from the March 20th meeting. Okay, because that's kind of, when I looked at it, it, it really doesn't really work as well. Well, I mean, when you play the two clips side by side, it definitely sounds bad. I will, I will say right away, that is not nearly as bad as the Mobanga example from before, but that sounds like a real problem that a councillor who made the motion doesn't even know the distinction between the words in the motion and, and the intent that she had. This is not some new item. This has been on debate for three and a half years, and right. the distinction between local residential and or residential collector, this has been at issue. It has been a huge point of contention. And even further, Esslinger and Loken in the past council, they were the traffic safety councillors. Right. They, that was their file. The fact that she doesn't know this stuff and isn't being an effective advocate, I'm going to say that's a big thumbs down from me. Uh, I, there was some audible cringe in the meeting when the person who made the motion basically didn't know what her motion was actually for. Right. I mean, that's pretty inexcusable. Um, in the clip, we heard uh, mention of the work that administration is doing on this road classification. What's happening with that? So back a year ago, council had made a motion to say, hey, we know that roads look a bit different in Edmonton. Why don't administration go classify roads based on how they look and how they feel and how they're used and then come back with some recommended maximums for each of those new road classification types? Right now we have local residential and we've had residential collector and local industrial and all these different classifications that don't mean anything to Edmontonians. Yeah. So councils proposed, hey, maybe there's, you know, neighborhood with two lanes of traffic and then you know commuter route with six lanes of traffic those sorts of meaningful classifications Things that every edmontonian could look at and say i know what that means yeah um instead of doing that administration didn't do that and then came back a year later and said we have not yet started on this work and we'll consider starting on it before september fantastic uh so that's that's the piece where councillor hamilton was saying well we've got to wait on this work to be done for some of this other stuff. So right. we've got to use the existing classifications right now. One other topic on speed limits I want to cover briefly is Councillor Knack brought up a proposal that basically all new 
neighborhoods and neighborhoods undergoing neighborhood rehabilitation should be designed for 30 kmh speed limits which that sure. sounds good it sounds good uh this is part of the pile on i talked uh at the start of the episode where people are seeing an opportunity there's a conversation starting so everyone's yep. throwing their two cents in and while i appreciate what Councillor knack is doing here I actually really don't appreciate him doing it at all. What's your issue with that? My, my issue with that, and I've been doing the core zone a lot, so I've been talking with a bunch of communities in private, and a lot of the communities that support speed reduction, they're a bit leery of all these proposals coming forward, core zone included, because they just want speed reduction. Right. We, there's been a bait and switch and a back and forth for so many years now. All these communities are willing to throw their weight behind whatever has momentum. And now we have the core zone, which had some momentum. And then there's these other proposals and the other council initiatives that are all cropping up. And Nax proposal, while it's great, it sounds great. It's also never going to solve anything. And like at maximum, 35 communities over the next decade are going to get this. Right. So it's not a solution to the problem, but it also is covered like it is. You know, when news articles post a headline, all communities to be redesigned for 30 kilometers an hour, that gets traction. And suddenly people are opposed to this idea. There's this big panic and outbreak. And then it takes away from what has momentum. It takes away from what has momentum and it distracts from the actual issues of the day. Right. And it's just, it's just like it's a motion that doesn't really matter. It's like it could come. Yeah. But it, after we reduce some speed limits. Yeah, exactly. This is something that absolutely should be done. And it's our... Neighborhood renewal shouldn't be like for like. It should be improving these communities. Right, yeah. But just sort of like how Iveson didn't love Paquette making the free transit motion at the height of everything going on with budget. I don't love this motion coming right in the middle of my speed reduction campaign. So May 14th, right, is when it comes back to council? May 14th. And this time we're getting a time-specific item. So when we show up, we don't have to sit in council chambers for nine hours. Just... A couple of hours, potentially. Let's move on away from the Broad City to downtown, where a couple of towers came up this week. The first one in Oliver. Yeah, in Oliver. So this was a proposal from Abbey Lane Homes. They had purchased this piece of property in Oliver a couple of years ago, and there was a proposal this week at public hearing to do a swap, essentially, uh, for a piece of uh, park elsewhere in the neighborhood um, with the with the property that they own, so they could build the tower in a plot of land that's more deemed more valuable, essentially. And, um, you know, I'm of two minds on this one. I don't like to be the type of person that says, oh, on the one hand this and on the other this. But in this case, this is Abbey Lane Homes' second time coming on this. The, the, the residents and the community in Oliver already opposed their previous plan. So they came back with something that was actually proposed by a member of the community and then got a whole bunch more opposition. I kind of feel for them on that. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, we've talked about this before on the show. I feel like council has created these conditions by, you know, sort of approving towers without any sort of rules or or guidelines. And, and there's sort of this expectation that if you propose a nice fancy tower, it's going to get approved. Yeah. And I appreciate that this tower didn't get approved. I appreciate that council's pushing back on this yeah. infinite approval for towers. I agree. I don't have a lot to say on this item. Uh, I will say, though, that Oliver does have the lowest green space per capita in the city and i find it a little bit ironic that just down the cliff from oliver you've got two golf courses 
the Mayfair and Victoria, which if you combine their spaces, is as big as all of Oliver. Right. Um, but again, we've got another 18 years on that Mayfair lease. So go figure. The other more interesting tower that I want to talk about is the one that's getting proposed just behind the Hotel McDonald or in front of, depending on your perspective. Right. If you've walked by the Hotel Mac on Jasper Avenue, you've seen that little green space there. Uh, it's currently dubbed Frank Oliver Park. And there's a sort of a LRT entrance or was an LRT entrance uh, right on the corner there. And this isn't the first time that a proposal for a tower in that piece of land has come forward. Um, But the proposal this time is um, by a partnership with Procure and another company. And Procure is actually the, the company that owns that plot of land. That was a really interesting point because I've always assumed that it was either the city that owned that land or it was the Hotel Mac and that was a little courtyard for you know, people Guests pulling up in their cars or whatever. Yeah, it's not. It's just like a private developer owns that little parklet. The other interesting part is that that land, it's currently DC2 zoning and they could, without consultation, put up a 150 meter tower with a thousand square meter base plate without consulting anyone. They could just do it. They're zoned for it, which is a pretty big tower. Yeah. So what is this tower that we're actually talking about? So they've proposed a 185-meter tower, so it's actually taller than what the current zoning allows, um, but much, much skinnier. And and that's the reason why it's taller, right? Because if you have a smaller uh, floor plate, you've got to make up for the difference in height to make it financially viable, or at least that's what the developers will tell you. So very helpfully, Troy, you've put some notes in here. Uh, the entire podium would be clear glaze to give it lightness and provide visibility. Lighting would accent the recessed windows. It would, by all accounts, look like a pretty attractive tower that wouldn't overwhelm the things around it. Yeah. Some people are saying that, you know, it might cast a bit of a shadow on the hotel and McDonald, or it might block the view, which, fair point, it might. And I've heard the complaint already this week from a few people that it, you should be able to see the Hotel Mac, not just from across the river, but also from the main street of the city. Yeah. And it would block that. Yeah. And I, I can empathize with that. But also, the city doesn't own that land. The developer can put up a big, blocky, brutalist tower that completely obscures the view right now. This is a pet peeve I have with a lot of Edmonton development discussions, and it happens a lot where I live because I'm in Hazeldean. We're part of the mature neighborhood overlay. So there's some restrictions on building houses and almost every infill property in the MNO has a variance applied to it. Tune into our previous episode on the zoning bylaw for more information on that. But you'll have a resident who they want to build a new house and you know, it's it's pretty big. It's a big house. Yeah. And they want a slightly bigger deck. So they have to send a variance notice to all their neighbors and their neighbors all go to SDAB and say, no, no, we don't want this. This is a huge monster house. It's going to block all my son. But the MNO allows 8.9 meters house. That house height is allowed. The only thing you're allowed to contest here is the deck. It's a framing of the discussion. And right now, Edmontonians are saying, no, you can't build anything on that plot of land because that plot of land needs to be empty so that I can see that hotel. Well, no, they can build something on that plot of land. Right. We get that, to choose, Those decisions were made. Yeah. We get to choose whether the thing they build is nice or bad. And by all accounts, I think this tower is very nice. My only pet peeve with this is when they announced this, of course, this week, one of the things that was highlighted was the ground floor retail, <laughs> which... You know, uh, of course, if we're going to build a tower, it's going to have a podium. It should have ground level retail. But part of me is like, I live downtown. There's already a lot of empty retail. 
So I don't know who's going to fill this, who these phantom tenants are that's going to fill this space. But yeah, I came in here in the pre-show and I was selling that ground level retail. And you're like, no, we don't need any more. Fill up the space we have. There's tons of it. And maybe if people were able to walk to the current ground level retail, there might be stores in them. Imagine Jasper. But that's enough on towers. That's enough on politics. That's enough on speaking municipally, except for a good old ad. We're going to talk about Unit B co-working. We recorded a podcast episode in Unit B just a couple of weeks ago. It's a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. So you can join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startup, established organizations, and podcasters all dedicated to getting things done. Uh, besides desks and offices, Unit B offers, oh boy, I got ahead of myself in reading this ad, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio, I'm really selling that, as well as meeting spaces, a kitchen, Wi-Fi, and the usual amenities. It's located in the historic McKenney building on 104th Street, close to everything downtown, including Credo, where literally everyone always is downtown. Me for sure. <laughs> you can book a tour at unitb.ca. And as always... We're part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Check it out at albertapodcastnetwork.com. That's all for this week. Mac, do you have anything else to say? Next week looks like a relatively light week at committee, but I can only assume that's because they're preparing for yeah. a lively debate about speed reduction. Unfortunately, this isn't the last time you'll hear about it on this show. Oh, no. Troy, Troy will make sure you hear about it again. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.